0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The homily for the second Sunday of Advent related to the legislation passed recently in the United States of America. My dear friends, I'd like to focus on cheerfulness and joy, on love and the positive things about our faith. That is indeed the most important And that is what really moves us to heaven. However, we don't live in a Catholic paradise, actually quite far from it. We live in a world that is contrary to the Catholic faith. We live in a world that we can properly understand as a battlefield. If this is a battlefield, then the priests, the bishops, the church acts as a captain. Now, a good captain that is about to enter a battlefield will not paint the situation as if everything was okay. The captain certainly wants to keep the morale up. He wants to keep the soldiers in a good mood, but he's not going to deceive them. Quite the contrary, what he's going to do, what he should do, is warn them about the dangers that come ahead. And today, my dear friends, one is obliged to have one of those sermons, a sermon to warn the faithful about the dangers that lie ahead, and the ones that are already about us. And I refer, of course, to the new legislation passed here in the United States of America, called, wrongly called, the Respect for Marriage Act. Now, if anyone felt that this sermon is uncalled for, we need but remember That today in the gospel we read that St. John the Baptist was was in prison. And he calls to our Lord. He asks our Lord a question. But he was in prison. And why was he in prison? He was in prison because he had a sermon. And in his sermon he condemned Herod for having married the wife of his brother. For living in an incestuous relationship. For having been divorced. That's why he was in prison. And that gives us then an understanding that this is indeed the job of the church. This is something that pertains to the church. The church, as the prophets of old, has the office to call out evil wherever it is promoted. It has the office to bring to light, to take out its mask and expose evil doctrines and evil morals wherever there might be, expose them for what they are. And this needs to be done as often as it is needed. If it comes out a hundred times, a hundred times, the church ought to come and condemn it. And that is not focusing on the negative. That is protecting out of love. Protecting its children out of love. It is the same office that a doctor would do. If you were to come to a doctor because you have cancer, and the doctor were to say to you, well, I've told you once... If this thing comes back again, I will not tell you, because I don't need to focus on the negative. No, a good doctor, as often as it is needed, will warn you that your health is in jeopardy, that there is a cancer creeping up in your body, that you need to get help, that you need to take action. That's the same thing that the priest needs to do. Now, as you might be aware, the government has passed, or is in the process of passing, a new law, Uh, you could say it's an amendment to a previous law, called the Respect for Marriage Act. The details of this I cannot explain in the pulpit, because there are children in the pulpit, but I explain them here. And it basically means that the government is legally making it legal, ...to accept unions of two persons of the same sex as a marriage. The government is legalizing sodomy. is legalizing sexual perversion. That is what we are facing right now. By this, the government is establishing sin as a right. And not only that, with this law, a precedent is set... ...to force all citizens to recognize sinful unions against their conscience. A more appropriate name to this would be... ...not the Respect for Marriage Act... ...but rather the Sacrilegious Destruction of Marriage... ...and Promoting of Perversion Act. That might be too long. But whatever keeps that same idea, that should be the same name. That should be the name of this law. Now, this issue goes back to the year 2013 when the supreme law ruled out the defense for marriage act the defense for marriage act was a law that actually said that the government did not recognize unions of the same sex as marriage the supreme court overruled this in 2013 and, and said this is not uh, constitutional and that was the beginning that was a precedent for what we see today where now the government is actually recognizing those as legal. The government is legalizing same-sex marriage. Let's begin by being very clear. This law is unjust. It is evil. It is perverse and irrational. And this law gives us a precedent also to begin to destroy that myth of separation of the church and state. This is a principle that is uphold, upheld by many people, even here in America. And this is a principle that is impossible. It doesn't exist. There is two reasons why it doesn't exist, I'll tell you. The first one is, a state must legislate. A state must pass laws. But in order to pass laws, you have to have a moral code. So, there is no way for the state to separate itself from Morals. And morals is the field of religion. So this is not a question, because it's impossible. It's not a question of whether the state is going to separate itself from a church. It is a question of which church the state is going to follow. It is a question of which moral code the state will follow. And here the state is saying, I will not follow the Christian moral code. I will follow the leftist moral code the communist moral code there is no separation of the church and state because it's impossible it is only a question of which state which church the state follows the other reason why this is a myth is because it is not the church that invades the state it is not the church ...that goes into places that do not pertain to it. It is always the other way around. Rarely, if ever, has the church uh, overstepped the boundaries between itself and the state. Often, and most of the times, and every time in history, from the very beginning of the church... ...it has been the state that invades the territory of the church. That usurps what it does not pertain to it, and this is a perfectly clear example... Because marriage is not something civil, marriage is not something legal, marriage has always been, from the very beginning of humanity, in every culture, in every religion, not just in the Catholic one, marriage has always been a purely religious institution. It was only in the, year 18, in the 1800s that the states started invading this religious institution and taking it upon themselves to make legislation on it. And the purpose of that invasion was to allow for divorce. Now, to the state pertains to determine the legal effects once a marriage has taken place. Once a union has been ratified in a religion, the state could certainly determine the legal effects of that. And that, obviously, in communication with the Church. But the state cannot determine the nature of the union. The state cannot determine who is able to take this union or not, because, again, it's something religious. For the state to legislate on this issue is now different than if the state was to determine a law about who is able to be baptized, or who is able to receive holy orders, or who is able to receive confirmation, and what should we call confirmation? Confirmation. All of those things would be sacrilegious, impious, and ridiculous because the state has no matter in them and the marriage is no different. Now, how could we summarize what is wrong about this law? There are many things that are wrong, but I will mention three. The first and obvious one that pertains to us to denunciate from here is that it is a blatant offense against God. It literally means that the state is creating legislation directly against God's legislation. God says in his law, this is what you ought to do. And the state says in his law, now you do the contrary. It is the state putting itself directly against God. So from a religious standpoint, this is the worst. From a religious and a legal standpoint, standpoint, the other point that is very bad about this law is that it destroys your ability to practice your faith. We cannot go now into the issue of religious freedom and how the principle of religious freedom in itself is wrong. But religious freedom should be understood as the ability to practice the true faith. And understood like that, also, this law entirely destroys that principle. The legislation is said to protect the churches and to protect nonprofits because it says that neither churches, nonprofits, or religious organizations can be prosecuted if they do not abide by this law, if they do not recognize same sex marriage. However, the regular citizen is not protected if you are not a religious corporation. If you are not a nonprofit, if you have nothing to do with religion, and you just have a bakery or a photo business, or any other business, you are not protected by this. This law is tantamount to tell you that you can only practice your faith within the confines of these walls. And I don't know what you understand by freedom, but to do something within the confines of walls is not freedom. Make no mistake, this law is setting a precedent for persecutory measures. There was no need for this law. These kind of unions were already recognized by the state. But they were not recognized in such a way that people could be prosecuted if they didn't recognize them. The purpose of this law is to give that right, that ability, to prosecute, to sue, to bring to jail people who do not abide who do not recognize these unions. So it is a persecutory measure. And merely the fact that is telling you that you cannot abide by your conscience outside of the church, it's already a persecute a persecution. And this is the third point that is evil about this law. That is setting a precedent. It's setting a precedent for further persecution of the church and of Christians and it's setting a precedent for more indoctrination of children Because if the state recognizes these unions as marriages, then that is going to pass not only to legal issues, it's going to pass to medical issues, and it's going to pass to family issues, and it's going to pass to education, and to the training of children, and to determine what is legal to present to them and what is not. And with this law, if I want to go to a school child and tell him that marriage between two men and two women is evil, is perverse, I would be liable to go to prison if I am outside of my church, outside of my walls. Indeed then, this law is nothing else than the state adopting a moral code. And this moral code is the same moral code that all the institutions depending on the state pushed by the state, financed by the state, will follow. What is, my dear friends, the solution to this? We have it in the Gospel. The solution is Christ. These things, as all the destiny of nations, does not depend so much in politics as in the balance that there is between sins of the nation and the good works and good actions of the just. Imagine a scale, a scale of the country And on the one side, there are all the sins of the country, all the sins of the people that residing here, especially the public sins. And on the other side, there are all the good works of the just, all all the acts of reparation, the holy hours, the first Fridays, the first Saturdays, the rosaries, the masses. If the sins outweigh the good works, that nation will be punished. And the only way to avoid this punishment and to bring the nation around is not politics. It is religion. It is our faith. Do politics as much as you wish. And it is good and I advocate for that. But that is not the main solution. Politics is moving the steering wheel. You have to put gas on the car. You have to turn it on. And that gas on the car and that turning on comes from nowhere else but from religion. It comes from grace. It comes from making acts of reparation. It comes from bringing bringing Christ more into ourselves, our family, and our society. The solution is religion. The solution is our faith. And as I say, if we don't counterbalance the sins of our nation, punishment is due. Now here... I will tell you what I would think if I was sitting in your place. If I was sitting in the pew and I was hearing the priest again talk about punishment and again talk about these negative things, I would say to myself, you know what, we've heard this before and I don't see any punishment. But here I want you to think again, because look at the leaders that we have in the White House and in the government, and you tell me if that is not a punishment. Look at the prices of gas, at the prices of commodities, at the prices of things in the supermarket, and you tell me if that is not a punishment. Look at the liberal cities, the cities where people sin the most. Where is the crime highest? Where is the situation worse? Where do you see more drugs? Where do you see more lives being destroyed? Where where do you see the moral destroyed worse than in those cities where sin abounds? What is that if that is not a punishment? The worst punishment that comes upon a nation, it's a bad government. It's bad politicians, bad leaders. My solution then, my friends, as I said, is in the gospel, and the solution is nothing else but our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in the signs that he gives to St. John. When St. John asks him, who are you? Are you the one that is coming or are we to expect another one? Are you the Messiah or are we to expect another one? And look at the signs that our Lord gives us. And those signs are also a sign for our hope because I do want to end in a positive note. I do want to end in hope. I want to end in happiness. I want to end in what leads us to God. And these signs that our Lord gave to St. John are given to us as well if we want the blind and deaf to see and hear the truth, what we need to bring to them is Christ so that he converts them. We want to bring Christ to ourselves, as I said, to our family, and then to the rest. If we want our crippled nation, our crippled society, to be able to walk in the, wo- in the works of virtue, in the works of truth, in the works of morality, we ought to bring our Lord Jesus Christ to cure these crippled people. If we want to cure the leper of sin in our society, in ourselves, in our families, you know what the answer is. And who is more dead than those who are in the state of mortal sin? What death can be worse than that? And what is the cure to that? Also, the gospel tells us. Our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is the answer for us. The answer is to come to the first Fridays and do reparation. The answer is to come to the first Fridays, Saturdays. The answer is to ask, to see, to organize holy hours of reparation, exposition of the blessed sacrament, rosaries. The answer is to deprive ourselves to take away our family from the worldly things, The answer is to make ourselves more fervent more devout every time that we come to mass and this is normal when we come to mass we hear the sermon and we walk out of the church and we say to ourselves without saying the words perhaps but we think to ourselves let's go back to the same thing let's live my life as i have been living it so far and that is good because most of us most of the people i'm sure in the church lead good lives But what I'm saying here is, today, if we really want to change things in our country, as we leave the church, we must think, what else can I do? What more can we do? How can I become from a good Christian, a fervent Christian? Sister, one of the sisters here was telling me a couple days ago that she was feeling bad because I had me sent a message about this, about reparation, and she had sent a message the day a few hours later about a party that was being organized for the children. And I said to her, no, we shouldn't feel bad about that. That is exactly how we should act. We should do reparation, yes, but then after we finish with our reparation, after we finish with our holy hour, we should come out happy from that and live happily in our state of grace and celebrate Christmas and do all those beautiful things that our faith prompts us to do because we should be happy to be with God. Now, if you're with one hand in the world and with the other hand in your faith, then happiness will not come for sure. Remember the story of Lot's wife, when Lot was fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody was running, facing ahead, but the wife looked back. She looked back because she loved the city. She looked back because she had things in there. She had things of herself invested in that city. And because she looked back, because she loved the world, she turned into what she loved. She turned into a statue of salt. She shared the condemnation of the city. So if you have one hand in the Mass and the other hand in your streaming services, if you have one hand in going to confession but the other hand in watching videos and listening to hip hop and listening to all those horrible music that there is right now if you have one hand in going to communion and the other hand in drinking in smoking marijuana in doing all those evil things that the world does today then for sure be afraid because you have one foot in the world and one foot with god and that cannot happen But if you're not part of the world, if you try to separate yourself from these evil things, if you strive for that, if you strive to be a good Christian, a good Catholic, to live in the state of grace, and to go to confession as soon as you need it, then you have all the right to be happy, and you have all the right to be at peace. You have all the right, then, to rejoice in the coming of Christ that we're about to celebrate this Christmas. And you should live glad glad to be in the state of grace. You have then all the right to enjoy the beauty of good morals. You have all the right to know that you are in a family that will never desert you, the family of heaven, our blessed mother, our Lord, the saints. And you have all the right to enjoy the hope that your faith gives you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.